0: Today, the sermon is on the Holy Spirit, and to lead us this morning in our teaching of the Holy Spirit, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 20, which is only one question long. And so that's what we're going to recite together now as we prepare to hear God's word from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 20. I'll read the question, and you can respond with the answer. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that the Spirit is given also to me so that through true faith he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. Amen. Let's pray. O oh Lord, our God and our King, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who is given to us personally, who makes us share in Christ and all his benefits, who comforts us and who remains with us always. Lord, we pray now that you would make your spirit felt among us so that we may come to know you through the reading of your word and the proclamation of the gospel. Move in our hearts by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and we're going to be reading from verse 23 to chapter 4 verse 7 and this is a this is a fun passage uh, as many of you have probably noticed we've uh, been reading up here from the Uh, 2011 translation of the NIV, which is a newer translation than the version we have in our pews, and this is a passage that deals with inheritance and sonship and all sorts of fun things, Um, and so you'll hear a little bit of difference in translation uh, as the different translations try to capture uh, what Paul is trying to say in different ways, so that'll be kind of fun for you to listen to. Galatians 3, verse 23 to 4, verse 7. Oh, sorry, verse 26. 3, verse 26. We're starting at 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, over the course of this summer, we've been working our way through the Apostles' Creed, this basic statement of what we believe as Christians, and we've been using the Heidelberg Catechism throughout the summer as our guide to what the Creed teaches us about the God who we worship. And so following the Creed, we've been exploring the three persons of the Trinity in succession, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We began this series back already in May by looking at God the Father and our creation. And then we turned to God the Son and our deliverance. And now, for the rest of the series, we turn to God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. And you might be thinking that the Holy Spirit gets the short shrift in this deal. After all, today we look at the question, What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? End of sentence. And next Sunday, we'll move right along to what we believe about the church and the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins. And so it looks like there's just one question about God the Holy Spirit after, like, what, like, uh, 24 questions and answers about God the Son? It seems a little bit unfair I think, that God the Son gets 24 questions and answers and God the Holy Spirit only gets one. But the truth of the matter is that this isn't really the case. The Catechism only has one question that's explicitly about the Holy Spirit, just like the uh, Apostles' Creed only has one line that's explicitly about the Holy Spirit, but teachings about the Spirit run the whole way through the Catechism. From the very first question, when we confess that Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him, we've seen the Spirit at work in the background, behind the scenes, so to speak. And we've already received explicit teachings about the Holy Spirit in this series already in question and answers 27, 31, 32, 35, 47, 49, and 51. And implicitly, those are the explicit teachings about the Holy Spirit, and implicitly, we've seen the Spirit at work uh, in the work of creation and election and providence, redemption, deliverance, justification, adoption, perseverance, and the justice of God. And so when we get to this question and answer about the Holy Spirit, so much has already been said about the Spirit that the writers of the Catechism don't feel the need for more than one question about the Spirit. And just include the most important items. First, that the Holy Spirit is true and eternal God, together with the Father and the Son. And second, that the Holy Spirit is given to us personally by Jesus Christ. And by true faith, the Spirit makes us share in Christ and his blessings. The Spirit comforts us, and the Spirit remains with us forever. And that's all that we need to know, the Catechism tells us. But there's really more to it than that. Because after explaining what, what we believe about the person of God, the Holy Spirit, in this question and answer, the Catechism moves on to what we call the external works of the Spirit. And so everything that follows, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting, all of these can be understood as the work of God, the Holy Spirit. So the rest of the creed, the catechism tells us, is about God the Holy Spirit. In fact, a lot of people who study the catechism argue that the section on God the Holy Spirit really extends to the next section on the sacraments, since it's the Holy Spirit that makes the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper effective for us. And even beyond that, the the section on the Holy Spirit, they say, really extends to the entire Last bit of the catechism on our response of gratitude because the Holy Spirit inspires our prayers and the Holy Spirit inspires our obedience to God's word. So if we understand it this way, really about two-thirds of the Heidelberg Catechism is on God the Holy Spirit. And that's an important thing, I think, because what we believe about God the Holy Spirit can easily kind of go off the rails. The third person of the Trinity is probably the most mysterious person of the Trinity. The biblical word for spirit in both the Greek and the Hebrew is the same as the word for breath or wind. God the breath, God the wind, God the spirit. The the Greek word pneuma and the Hebrew word ruach both mean the same thing. They both mean wind. Uh, And so this sometimes actually makes translations a little bit difficult, because like in the passage from Ezekiel that we read, uh, the the translators translate it, prophesied to the breath, but it could be prophesied to the spirit, or prophesied to the wind. Uh, And same in the Genesis 1 passage, that the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the breath of God was hovering over the waters. This sometimes makes translation difficult, but this is the biblical analogy that we're taught for how to think about God the Holy Spirit. In John chapter three, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisee Nicodemus about, uh, about um, what it means to be born again. And Jesus says to him, the wind blows wherever it pleases. That's the same word, neoma. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. The King James, I love it. The King James uses whithersoever and whencesoever. Uh, you cannot tell uh, whencesoever it cometh or, or whithersoever it goeth. Uh, and so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What Jesus teaches Nicodemus here is that the movement of the Spirit is mysterious. But we can't fall into the trap of ancient heresies and some modern sects of believing that the Spirit is not actually a person. It's easy for us, I think. It's easy for a lot of people, and this is why it's such a, such a problematic heresy. Uh, it's easy for us to think of the Holy Spirit as this kind of life force or this cosmic energy that like, flows out of God, uh, or the, the, the relationship of love that exists between the Father and the Son. But the Bible teaches us something different. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, a person of the Godhead. And this is why the Catechism uses the pronoun he to describe the Holy Spirit rather than the pronoun it, even though the Greek word is not masculine or feminine, it's neuter, um, which we don't have in English, of course. But the point is that the Holy Spirit of God is a person, not a force or an energy or good vibes or anything like that. And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit in a personal way too. The Holy Spirit does things that only a person can do and the Holy Spirit does things that only God can do. The Holy Spirit gives us the gift of faith. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit determines who to bless with what spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit receives our worship, inspires our prayers, is grieved by our sin and protects us from temptation. The Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. The Holy Spirit is called Lord and God, and so together with the Father and the Son, we worship Him as God. And the reason that this is important is because of what the Catechism teaches us in the next sentence. That the Holy Spirit has been given to me personally. Has been given to me personally. So that, by true faith, He makes me share in Christ and all His blessings, comforts me, and remains with me forever. The Holy Spirit has been given to me personally, so that, by true faith, He makes me share in Christ and all His blessings, comforts me, and remains with me forever. When we started out this series all the way back in May, we started out by talking about faith. What is true faith? And what we saw from the Catechism and from Scripture is that faith is knowing God and trusting Him. Knowledge and trust. That's what faith is. It's not about understanding doctrine. It's not about unraveling the mysteries of God. It's not about reading the Bible cover to cover. To have faith means to know God personally and to trust him completely. But what does it mean to know God personally? I remember when I moved from the Dominican to Houston, Texas back in 2001, and all of a sudden I was just like dropped into Southern Baptist Christianity Uh, With no explanation, no like introductory course or anything like that. It was just everybody around me was Southern Baptist. And they were all talking about their personal relationship with Jesus. Which was language that, to be honest, really confused me. I mean, really, what, what does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus? It's such a normal part of the way that we talk about our faith that we lose how we lose how weird it sounds that we have a personal relationship with the son of god who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of god the father almighty we have a personal relationship with that guy somehow and so i would ask my friends what what does that mean to have a personal relationship with jesus what does that mean And they would talk about how they talk to Jesus just like they talk talk to their best friend and how they tell him everything and how they love him so much and all those things. They tell me that it was just like having a personal relationship with any other person. But it's really not like any relationship that we have with any other person. No matter how much we say it, having a personal relationship with God is not anything like having a personal relationship with another person. I mean, like, when, when, when we talk about Jesus being our friend, that friendship is nothing like the personal friendships that we have with other people. Think about it. What is it that makes a relationship personal? When you say, I have a personal relationship with Pastor John, or I have a personal relationship to my sister, I have a personal relationship to my brother, what do you mean by that? It probably means you have conversations with them, especially face-to-face conversations. When you're telling them something important, you watch their face to make sure that they're getting it. You wait for them to ask you questions to make sure that they understand you. If they're not really paying attention, you, like, snap in their face and say, hey, this is important, listen to me. You do things together. You go bike riding or go on walks. You go out to eat. You watch movies together. You do hobbies. You ask them about their family, and their school, and their job, and their life, and their health, and their faith. And they ask you about your family, and your school, and your job, and your health, and your faith. And that's not quite what a personal relationship with God is like, is it? And when people pretend that that's what their relationship with God is like, it's kind of weird, like like me and God go bike riding through the woods and talk about our hobbies, But personal relationship is the language that the Bible uses to describe our relationship with God, and that's why the Catechism picks up on it here. Scripture teaches us that we have a personal relationship with God. Even though our personal relationship with God is radically different than any other personal relationship that we have, it's still personal. And this is the biblical teaching that the Catechism tries to explain to us here. As Andy Kivenhoven explains, knowing God is the highest good that we can experience in this life. And God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we know him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the only way to the Father is through the Son. And the only way we come to know the Son is by the Spirit who gives us life and who is given to us by Christ and who lives inside of us. God, the Holy Spirit, is given to each of us personally and lives inside of us to point us to Christ, our Savior. The Spirit always leads us and points us to Christ the Son. The way to the Father is through the Son, and we come to the Son by the Spirit. We know God as triune, as three in one, which means that our relationship with God has more dimensions than our relationship with our best friend or with our mother or with our spouse. We know God as the God above us, as the sovereign creator and lawgiver who is the source of all good. We know God as God within, God with us, the anointed Messiah of God who lived and died and was raised from the dead as a human being. And finally, we know God as God in us, as the Spirit of God who dwells in our hearts. We have some ambient music going on here to to fill the mood. We know God as God in us, the God who lives inside of us, who dwells within our hearts, the presence of God is with us always, protecting us from sin, guiding us in righteousness, inspiring our prayers and our service, giving us the gifts and the blessings of Christ, and renewing us day by day in resurrection life. One of the key themes in the Bible and in our confessions is what we call the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit. This idea that the the spiritual feeling of assurance and comfort that we have comes from the Holy Spirit who is God. That our comfort, our assurance, the, the way that we know that we belong to God comes from the Holy Spirit inside of us speaking to us and assuring us that everything that God says in his word is true. And this is what the Catechism is getting at in the second half of this answer here. By true faith, by knowing and by trusting God, the Holy Spirit makes us share in Christ. The Holy Spirit comforts us and the Holy Spirit remains with us forever. These three benefits, participation in Christ, comfort and presence, these are the three things that the Spirit offers us. And these are the three things that I think Uh, are explained really well by this passage from Paul's letter to the Galatians that we read this morning. In this passage, Paul is encouraging the Galatian Christians not to live as slaves of the law,
1: because there were
0: these leaders in the Galatian church who were trying to get the, new, the newly converted Greek Christians to conform in every way to Old Testament law and practice. And this included things like circumcision and dietary laws, not eating pork, um, purity laws, not mixing uh, different cloths and stuff like that. Um, and since the newly converted Greek Galatians were not very keen to part with either their bacon or their foreskins, uh, this became a major conflict in the church in Galatia. And so there's these two big questions that come up, and these two big questions that Paul addresses. First, if we're saved by Christ alone, what's the point of the Old Testament law? And second, if we don't have to follow the Old Testament law anymore, how do we know that we're saved? This was a really big deal because for Jewish believers in the time of Christ, assurance of salvation came through observance of the law. How do you know that you're saved? How do you know that you're in the people of God? Well, for a Jewish believer in the first century, that was an easy answer. You make your sacrifices and you say your prayers and you celebrate the feasts and you stay pure. Then you know that God is pleased with you. But when you take that away, when everything is accomplished by Christ, then how do you know that salvation includes you? And Paul deals with this in a very interesting way, using this language of adoption and inheritance. And he uses the language of sonship in the Greek, because in the Roman Empire, only Males could inherit wealth and property. And so that's why in this newer translation, the translators use the word heir rather than son, because that's what Paul is trying to convey that the inheritance is passing from God the Father to us in Christ. Paul explains to the Galatian Christians that the Old Testament law was kind of like a guardian, like a nanny. Uh, The law took care of God's people until the time came for them to step into adulthood. But now that Christ has come, the practices of the ceremonial law, the purity laws and the dietary laws and the festivals and sacrifices, all these things, they aren't good anymore because the ceremonial purpose that they served has been fulfilled. The Old Testament ceremonial law intended to point people to Christ. And and now that Christ is here, the Old Testament ceremonial law has fulfilled its purpose. But that still leaves the Galatian Christians with this question. If we don't measure our salvation by observing the law, what do we measure it by? And Paul says we measure it by the Spirit. The Spirit makes us know God in Christ. The Spirit makes us participate in the promises of of God in Christ. The Spirit adopts us as children of God in Christ. The Spirit gives us the fruit of belonging in Christ. And these benefits, Paul says, are what assure us of our salvation These benefits give us the strength that we need to stand firm and to boldly live lives of holiness and live out God's sacrificial love for us in this world. When we see that the Spirit is producing fruit in us, when we know that the Spirit is constantly present with us, when we trust that God eternal has been given to us personally, We can live with boldness, the way that Pastor Carl talked about last Sunday, living with this future orientation, living with this hope and this eager expectation that Christ will come again and set everything right. And this is what's so inspiring about the speeches of people like Martin Luther King Jr. His his I Have a Dream speech and his On the Mountaintop speech, they're both speeches about the vision of the future that God has given him. A future without hatred, a future without fear, a future without violence or war, a vision of the future that was a great threat to the powers of this world. But MLK was able to declare this future in the fearless voice of prophecy because he knew that God had been given to him personally, and he saw that fruit in his life. And this is true in our lives, too. We know that we are saved because we belong to God in Christ. And we know that we belong to God in Christ because the Spirit bears fruit in our lives. By faith, the Holy Spirit makes us share in Christ and all His blessings. By faith, the Holy Spirit comforts us. By faith, the Holy Spirit remains with us forever. Eternal God remains with us, in us. And it is this personal presence of the Spirit of God living in us that allows us to live our lives boldly with hope and without fear because we know that our inheritance is secure. The Holy Spirit unites us to God in Christ. And as we'll see next Sunday, the Holy Spirit also unites us to each other in Christ. The Holy Spirit comforts us in good times and bad. The Holy Spirit is a constant reminder to us that God is with us and will be with us forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. Creator God, we thank you that in the beginning your spirit was hovering over the waters. We thank you that through your spirit you inspire us and teach us what it means to live for you. We thank you that by your spirit you assure us of your promises and assure us of the benefits that are ours in Christ. We thank you that by your spirit, you unite us to yourself through your son. And we pray that you will continue to bear fruit in our lives so that we may know that we belong to you and live with boldness and hope, holding before us always the vision of the future that you have set for us in your way. Transform us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. In his name.